This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Former FBI Assistant Director Frank Figluzzi. Join me on a journey deep inside the world's premier law enforcement agency to decode the mysteries and challenges of today's FBI. The threats facing America are as real as the men and women who battle to protect us. In this first of a kind podcast, we sit down with active duty FBI personnel who reveal their mission, their cases, and their lives. Let's go inside the Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. There really is no way to disappear 100%. There's enough of our personal identifying information out there publicly without even having to hack that, that we're exposed and should be concerned with. These data points are exploitable, they're easy to find, and they can be used to target and track you. Is it even possible to live less exposed? I don't let my kids take their cell phones to bed. All you need is that one data point if someone has malicious intent. Having that number, I could actually parallel reconstruct your life to get to your home address. Today's episode will be both eye-opening and mind-opening as we explore the question of whether it's possible to minimize our public exposure online, our exposure of our most personal details and data. If you've ever wondered if you can digitally disappear, this episode is for you. Our guest today is James, a supervisory intelligence analyst at FBI Kansas City. James, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to our discussion because I think this is a topic on a lot of people's minds today. And if it isn't, after this episode, I think it will be something that will give them pause and maybe even um, will give them some reason to take action today. A lot of our personal data is hanging out there, and we're going to talk about that and, and trying to minimize what folks in your line of work call digital exhaust. I think maybe some of our listeners will be hearing that phrase for the first time, and we'll certainly define it and get in the weeds on that. But first, James, let me ask you a question I ask all of our guests in an attempt to put a human face on the FBI. Tell us a little bit about your journey into the FBI what you were doing previously, and what you've been doing since joining the Bureau. Okay. Um, certainly, um, first of all, I'll just acknowledge that I'm a, 
uh, a husband and father first. And so my family really equips me to uh, do this job. And so when I walk in, um, I learn a lot from my kids. I have teenage kids and I have a wife who is a mental health professional. So that really puts me in a frame of mind to where I can walk in and, and really deal with things. As far as from a career perspective, uh, my life really changed after 9-11. So I joined the federal government with Homeland Security in September 2002. From that time, I worked there about two and a half years before I joined the FBI in late 2004 as an intelligence analyst. It was uh, definitely a newer position with the FBI, and I spent six years in the San Diego field office working the Joint Terrorism Task Force there. I spent two years in San Diego working on Cyber National Security Squad, and I spent two years in San Diego working in a fusion center environment prior to applying for a supervisory intel position and relocating to the Kansas City field office. So uh, I've had a lot of different experiences, uh, but certainly my professional trajectory was deeply influenced by the events of 9-11, and uh, that was a, a huge impact for my life and a big motivator for me joining the FBI to give back to people and to keep them safe. Yeah, we've uh, we've heard that motivator, that theme of 9-11 throughout uh, our guests' journey into the Bureau. It's a becoming kind of the overriding theme as to uh, how people got motivated to join the Bureau, and I really can think of no better motivation than wanting to protect our nation, which is what you guys do um, every single day. So let's start with a definition. What is digital exhaust? And then let's go into why it's so important in terms of security for law enforcement officers and for the rest of us. Okay. Well, I will start out by saying it's not a term that I coined, but it certainly is appropriate um, I've had a big impact with that term as far as helping to raise awareness for that. Very simply, digital exhaust is data on the internet about you and I. Uh, it's all the information uh, that a person creates as they interact with websites and, and different services. So sometimes we create some of it, and other times some of it's created um, about us by how we interact with technology. And so to just kind of sum that up, uh, these data points are exploitable, they're easy to find, and depending on what you do for a living, they can be used to target and track you. And oftentimes our digital exhaust is some of our most extremely and personal sensitive information that identifies who we are and reveals our private activities. So that's why it's so important to understand what it is and to have the discussions about why we should be aware of that and how to control that. Yeah, I, I think many of our listeners are going to relate to the fact that they themselves have received notifications from, oh gosh, everywhere from uh, maybe the airlines to the Office of Personnel Management to their, their hotel uh, membership club they might belong to, all telling us, I've certainly got, got my notices, um, hey, your information's been hacked. But really what we're talking about today is not does not even require uh, bad actors to hack. You're, you're, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is there's enough of our personal identifying information out there publicly without even having to hack that, that we're exposed and should be concerned with. Is that right? Certainly, yes. And uh, I think if people were really aware and mindful of how much personal information exists about us that 
many different organizations have access to, they would have a better understanding of how important it is to think about the choices they make when it comes to privacy and how that may impact their digital exhaust so that they can make good informed decisions and protect their loved ones and themselves. And that's really what people probably need to start out doing is really that mindfulness process and then applying some rigor to that as they move forward. Yeah. It's um, I tell you during my, during my FBI career, there was really an eye opening time when I realized that while the general public gets really concerned about so-called big brother knowing everything about us online and, and looking at us, the, the eye-opening experience for me was learning that private companies, particularly in the marketing industry, collect and, and gather up all this data on us that's already out there and they, use, they sell it to marketing for marketing purposes. So, you know, they, they know that you prefer this color over that color of clothing, and that's going to dictate the clothing catalog you get, or that you've made a purchase of ski equipment. And all of a sudden here comes all of this, you know, ski magazine and ski resort information. It's all out there. And, and so now I'm intrigued by kind of the, the, the flip side of this, which is how to make some of that less visible. And your story starts really with teaching this to law enforcement officers and, and who are very exposed. I mean, let's, let's face it, law enforcement officers arrest people every day who don't want to be arrested and may hold a grudge. So tell me how you started getting into this whole concept of minimizing digital exhaust for law enforcement. Uh, for me, it actually started with my family. And so <clears throat> having worked very sensitive threat issues and knowing that there are people out there that would seek to hurt or even kill law enforcement or FBI employees. For me, it started with myself and my family and that I was just completely unsatisfied with how exposed I was. And so really over the last eight years, this has been a passion of mine on the side. And then I saw that there was a real need for this within the FBI and to better serve law enforcement. And one of the things that we need to do is just ensure that we have the ability to actually protect our families and ourselves and to actually go out and reduce some of these very preventable issues with our information out there so that they cannot be used offensively by a wide spectrum of threat actors. So the FBI deals with a number of different threat actors who possess resources and technical abilities that can be used to target FBI employees and their families. And they're going to continue to do this. And there's an ever-increasing variety, uh, volume of data, and the speed of data that's appearing that will present challenges to me as an FBI employee, my families by default, as well as the greater organization. And that's really why we have to talk about this, because um, winning is not something that just happens. It's, it's a deliberate choice that we have to make. And that is why we have to have these conversations from a law enforcement perspective, as well as from a personal perspective. Yeah. At first, when we were setting up this call, I, I had a question about, boy, really, the FBI wants to share with the public how to make it harder to find them. And I, I found some irony in that, that, you know, boy, the FBI is in the business of finding people sometimes. And so teaching the public to, you know, quote unquote, disappear, or at least minimize their exposure could 
be counterproductive. But you're saying it's that important to the public's safety um, that they become not only aware of their exposure, but they take steps to minimize it. Is that right? Yes, I am. And I I think the, the key to starting this journey is really understanding that many of us operate in a privacy paradox. So if you were to talk to someone on the street, anywhere that may be, the grocery store, um, wherever that may be, if you were to ask them if they value privacy, most people would probably tell you yes. They lock their doors, they put blinds up. But if you were to actually evaluate how that behavior is implemented compared to the level of care and concern they have, it's inconsistent oftentimes. And so therefore we have a privacy paradox. And so the things that we really seek through technology are social connections and convenience and accessibility, saving money. But all of those activities, if not evaluated properly, can actually allow us to be more exposed than we were before. And that's really why you have to sensitize this issue of it's a privacy paradox. And if you start to talk with people, it becomes a very deep conversation. And that's where you really have to start the conversation, in my opinion. Yeah, I, li- I like your analogy there to locking our doors at night. We, we all take precautions with our home, our belongings, uh, but, but not necessarily realizing that we are wide open and exposed online. So let's get into the details. Give us some examples that might help open our eyes as to how exposed we truly are online. What, what about us is out there? How easy is it to find? And, and, and how bad could that be? Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot of data that you can find online very easily and through some very simple just searches through some different search engines that exist out there. Uh, phone numbers, home addresses, email addresses, usernames. Having that data is very helpful if you're someone who's looking to disrupt someone's life. So, for instance, your personal telephone number, and it's been my assessment and my experience, is one of our biggest vulnerabilities. Uh, it's a piece of our personal data that we often freely give out when we register for accounts at places like restaurants or grocery stores. I think about the example of a grocery store where you may be part of a loyalty program. And as you're in line, you're often giving that phone number verbally out in public to someone in order to access that service. So it puts us in a position to where this piece of our digital exhaust in particular gives me a starting point where I can piece together enough of someone's personal data to actually gain a foothold in their life. And what I often tell people is, you really should treat your personal phone number as if it's your home address, because many times having that number, I can actually parallel reconstruct your life to get to your home address. And 10 years ago, these were uh, capabilities that really existed solely within specialized uh, tools and then law enforcement uh, tools. Now it's as simple as someone picking up a phone, a smartphone, and using some search techniques and being able to find that. And the problem is only getting worse. You're seeing a greater proliferation of this issue. Yeah, it's, it's uh, as you said, all you need is that one data point. If, if someone has malicious intent, um, they, they will use that to build an entire profile of you and find, find you, harass you, stalk you. And the stories are there. My, my uh, career after the FBI was in corporate security at a, at a high level, a, a Fortune 100 company. And 
one of my tasks was to work with the IT folks in, in the company and present to senior executives their exposure digitally. And it was often eye-opening for them to present to them uh, photographs of the inside of their home, uh, maybe from a real estate listing, uh, their kids' full names and activities and team membership from, from their kids' social media posts or their school's social media posts. Um, show them that you know, their spouse uh, every Tuesday teaches yoga at this location because that's online. And, and it, it really, uh, it became rather daunting. And, and I guess one of the questions is, is it even possible um, to live less exposed? Now, you mentioned things like the, the, the grocery store membership and various things. You know, we're all, we're all doing that. We all want to save some money. So how, how hard is it to minimize our digital footprint? You know, I think initially, once you have an understanding of how this data ecosystem works, then you can start to really take some measurable approaches to that. So obviously I have a much different view of this having worked on this for thousands of hours. But for the average person to start, I think you really have to take stock of what it is you're trying to do. So my job presents me with unique threats. Not everyone is having to deal with that. What I would say is is that um, like anything else, you wanna be mindful. And so whether it be something like a phone number in a grocery store, whether it be who you give your email address to, I mean, many people have an email address that contains their full name. That was a few years back. That was something that people talked about. Hey, if you want to get a job or you want to have something identifiable, put your full name. You've literally handed your name out. You might as well be wearing a name tag out, right? So we oftentimes we simply hand these items out to people without thinking about the ways someone can exploit that. So let me go back to your real estate example, right? So I think most people who bought a home know that it's fun and joyful yet stressful. And so that's an interesting data point for me because let's say we buy a dream home. You're likely going to live in that home for several years. And so that's a great example, Frank, of someone, you know, where we should be aware of, you go out, you look on different websites for real estate. But you can actually take control of those listings for your home on these different websites and actually uh, suppress that information. And so one of the things that I've actually done is taking control of those listings. It's not difficult to do and actually pulling sensitive data down to include the images of interior photos. So, again, I go back to that example of we, we have curtains, we lock doors. No one in their right mind is going to let a bad person do a walkthrough of their home physically. So why would we allow them to do that virtually? All right, let's take a moment to talk about something near and dear to all of us, sleep. If you've read my book, The FBI Way, you know I wrote about struggles I've had with sleep. Helix Sleep has a quiz that just takes two minutes and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody's different, and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. Take the Helix quiz and get matched with the mattress you need based on how you sleep. 
If you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz. You order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. And you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired magazines. Helix has been recommended by leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. If you're listening to this podcast, and I know you are, helixsleep.com slash bureau is where you go to take their sleep quiz, where they'll match you to a customized mattress, and how you get the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix even has a financing option and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash bureau. Now, let's get back to our discussion. So you're you're talking about, uh, and I've got if I've got the phrase right, a kind of opting out. If if the data is yours, you're saying you have the right or the ability to go on and take that down. Is 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 that how how that works? I mean, once once a real estate and and I guess the part part of the battle is to to tell your realtor, hey, look, I really don't want internal pictures of my home up uh, on here, but. Once it's up there, you're saying you, there's an ability to go down and, and make those things go away? Absolutely. And so one of the things that I encourage people, there's this big movement. Uh, opting out is a correct term. And so let me back that up just one step. Yes, there's a lot of ways to opt out. Some of those abilities are very difficult. So before I have to opt out, I would rather not opt in. So one of the big movements in the privacy uh movement, if you will, this, this idea and this growing understanding is really almost like this idea of nutrition labels of where our data goes. And that is absolutely something I encourage people to be mindful of, whether that be a website that hosts your data, whether that be an app that you may download. There's a lot of information that exists now that eight years ago when I started this journey was something that I really had to dig for. Now we have a lot of that data at our fingertips to actually evaluate and make those decisions. But it starts with being mindful. So for me, if I don't have to opt into something, I don't have to opt out of something, that makes sense. So I'd rather not give the data away up front as I've gotten a little wiser over the years versus having to go back and, and be reactive. I'd rather be proactive. But certainly um, I would encourage people, and particularly if we're on the topic of these real estate websites, all of them have different privacy understandings. If you simply go down to the bottom of the page, oftentimes you'll see that privacy link and you can start to understand what it is and how they operate. Because for me, once I took those photos down off those websites, they actually came off of the web. So they were no longer available if someone were to just simply use a search of my home address if they were to acquire that. Hey, James, what about these uh, platforms uh, online where you've got, they take uh, street level views of your house, there's overhead views of your house. What do we do about those? And can you opt out of those? Certainly. Um, there's a number of different websites that allow for street views, and they actually have different capabilities for you to opt out of that street level view. That is something I have done. So 
Uh, many times these different websites will allow you to blur your home from the street. Um, the overhead imagery presents some challenges, but however, um, as I've said previously, there really is no way to disappear 100%. And that really isn't my goal or what I'm trying to sensitize. It really comes down to making it harder for someone to get into your life. But there are very easy, simple options that you can employ that would actually allow you to blur or remove your image from the street level view. Got it. So it also seems to me there, there might be a lot of listeners going, oh, well, wait a minute, I don't want to totally disappear. There are business reasons that I want to be out there and findable, whether I'm seeking a job or I've got a service to offer. So how do you strike that balance of online presence? So how much is too much? And what about the business sites that you know help us network with like-minded people? How do you handle that? What I tell people is uh, very simply, some people manage their business interactions on social media platforms. What I tell people is, look, separate them. If you have a business uh, page or group or whatever that may look like, depending on whatever platform you operate on, that's going to be separate. I mean, if you think about 10 years ago, if you went to a job, you would give a family member, spouse, or loved one your business number, and they would call that. And so it's very similar to that mindset where you're setting that up to, to where that is separate from your life, to where you're accessible and you can put that out there, but it's not intertwining, if you will, with your personal life. And so, again, it's, it's just about having that wherewithal to think about, okay, yeah, maybe I do work from home, or maybe I have a small business, or whatever that looks like. There are ways to separate that. If you're using a personal social media account to grow your business, you're really leaving a lot of different data exposed to where people can see pieces of your life that that would have never been accessible 10 years ago. And so it's kind of an interesting irony, right? So in our rush for convenience, we may operate from inside the comfort of our home and we're hiding from maybe one issue, but we're unwittingly locking ourselves in with another. And that's where you have to be uh, thoughtful about that. Do I want to give people this level of access? Do I want to let them see that snapshot? always better to separate. And that's something I've talked many times with people about. You know, I, I lived and breathed foreign counterintelligence as uh, during my FBI career and, and even now as a national security analyst uh, on TV. And one of the things that continually surprised me was the degree to which uh, foreign intelligence services uh, exploited s our social media to find things out about us and to target people specifically. And on these business sites that that network i i mean what what's your sense of how much uh, what percentage of some of those business networking sites are actually foreign based international uh members um and the sense that 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 could be exploited and the sense that sometimes in people engaged in sensitive work whether it's research at a company or in the government are just giving away too much about what they work on and I'll, um, I'll address that business aspect and then bring it down to a personal level of something that I thought uh, the listeners would be amused about. Within business platforms, I think it's wise for anyone that works in sensitive positions within their government or security firms, and then particularly for our American listeners, we don't want to hand that away. And a lot of times we're handing personal data and personal information away that we don't have to, whether that be 
we don't have to maybe list our full identifiers. We don't have to list some of this personal information. Some of that just becomes uh, being aware of how those settings are configured within whatever specific business uh, social media platform you're using. I think we also need to be mindful that many times on these business platforms, you do run into people who are essentially social engineering others or spoofing their identity, what I would call doppelgangers, who will either try to appear legitimate to connect with you and harm you, whether that be through malicious links or malware delivery or impersonating you. Uh, I've seen that many times as well. And so a lot of times they'll impersonate this legitimate user, they're illegitimate, and attempt to actually block that legitimate person so that they cannot view that person's activities. So you have a legitimate user whose identity was essentially spoofed or stolen by an illegitimate user, and that illegitimate user will then block that legitimate connection and go forth and and actually conduct themselves as if they're the legitimate person to build these bona fides for whatever malicious or nefarious purposes they may have. You've essentially been erased by by someone at that point. Yeah, extremely frustrating, uh, to say the least. Uh, And I'll give you a great example, Frank, where you talked about um, the counterintelligence. So I'll bring that down to an even simpler thing. So uh, my daughter's a a very tremendous young lady. And so in eighth grade, she had a teacher that would go on there and and challenge kids and try to help them with their privacy and, and security. And so... Obviously, my daughter living around me, she's savvy. So I, I, I didn't have to teach her all my tricks. Uh, I taught her very few, but she's very good at what she does. So she comes home one day and tells me, hey, this teacher's saying, you know, I can get in your stuff. And I told her, hey, I can get in your stuff. I said, okay, sweetheart, get the consent from the teacher. If you want to do this experiment, go for it, right? So this actually turns into like a Wild West showdown, right? And so like so many great spaghetti Westerns, what started as this trivial game of verbal poker between my daughter and her teacher is now a showdown with higher stakes, right? So in about 10 minutes, my daughter has gone through and basically assembled the teacher's life. And so in her words, the showdown was showed up and it was interesting. It was an interesting experiment. And that's just a teacher and a student. And so when you talk about counterintelligence threats, these are some of the most sophisticated actors that are out there globally. So if you have this interaction with an eighth grader and a teacher, think about what these counterintelligence actors can do. And so particularly to go back to your point about business platforms, that is absolutely something that should be assessed and regularly looked at to ensure that you're just not exposing yourself. So many times, it's just those simple oversights that become so damaging. Yeah, I've found that uh, that savvy corporations actually assist their employees, particularly their critical employees involved in the most uh, critical research or sales marketing. Um, they don't. They, they actually tell their employees, "Here's what's here's what's appropriate for your your business networking site, your social media, and here's what's not. Don't put this out there." And um, I think we'd be smart to do that with our families, our kids our grandkids just, you know, we're really good at teaching our kids, Hey, that's private. That's no one's business, but we don't, we don't seem to extend that into their social media presence um, if they need to have one at all. So really food, good food for thought here. Um, Any examples of where this played out in the criminal realm, perhaps someone being tracked, found via their presence online 
and ha- you know you've you've already given us the kind of horrific example of of someone essentially being erased um, by a bad actor who took over their identity and then blocked them out. Uh, anything else to share with us in that regard? Yeah, we. Uh, I was asked to consult on a case here in Kansas City where we had a task force officer who was receiving threats to their life and threats to their family members' lives. And the threats were not idle. They were originating from individuals who had used technological tools to actually track harm and kill people. And so I was asked to come in and evaluate their digital exhaust, their digital footprint, and how to reduce that. And over about a week's time, I worked with uh, this task force officer and their immediate family, which is within our mandate, and was able to reduce that. And that actually, we got to a point where they were not, we had someone actively looking to gather their information with the intent to harm or kill. And that was actually mitigated through this process. And so that was a really tremendous uh, experience for me to know that it's not notional. I mean, everything that I've put together, I rely on for my own family's safety. And I was able to bring that in for an outstanding task force officer with our partner agencies and really help that individual do that. And so it really goes back to that quote from Francis Bacon, who's often referred to as the father of empiricism. Whoever doesn't apply new remedies must expect new evil. I was able to actually get ahead of this and help someone and keep them safe. And that's a very tangible example of something that I was able to help with and have a positive impact. Indeed. Yeah. A good one. Um, and I'm sure by now, many of our listeners are sitting there saying, you know what? All right. You've, you've convinced me. I want to take some steps to minimize my digital exhaust. What, what are the top two, three simplest things they can do to start that process? What do you recommend? I'm going to break here to share something new and different with you. What would you do if a singular moment changed your life forever? This is actually happening is a weekly podcast from Wondery that features extraordinary true stories of moments that changed absolutely everything for ordinary people. These riveting stories are told in first person so you can experience it through their eyes. You'll hear from a woman who heads out for a quick bike ride in the Swiss Alps and finds herself lost in a dark, icy unknown. Or a woman who went to Maui in search of a healer, but instead endured a harrowing ordeal as she went missing for 17 days in a rainforest. Every week you'll hear a story even more surprising than the last. We've all had powerful moments in our lives that have given us the feeling of nothing is ever going to be the same. Well, This Is Actually Happening explores these moments head on. These immersive gripping stories will have you on the edge of your seat waiting to hear what will happen next. I enjoy hearing real stories from real people that make a real impact on our lives. Listen to the latest episode of This Is Actually Happening on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Wondery, feel the story. When Simply Safe Home Security's founders, Chad and Eleanor Lawrence, designed their first security system in their kitchen, they did it for a very personal reason. Their friends had just had their home broken into, 
they were struggling to find a security system that was simple to set up and would make them feel safe again. You know my career has been dedicated to safety and security. And making people feel safe is what Simply Safe has been doing ever since that moment 15 years ago. A passion to protect people not only drives every engineering detail in its products, but it motivates every interaction with its customers. And the thing is, Simply Safe just makes it so easy. It takes about two minutes to customize a system on their website, simplysafe.com slash bureau. SimpliSafe has highly trained security experts ready whenever you need them, whether that's during a fire, a burglary, a medical emergency, or even just when you're setting up the system. There's always someone there who has your back to keep you safe and make sure you feel safe. As my listener, you can save 20% on your SimpliSafe security system and get your first month free when you sign up for interactive monitoring service. Just visit simplysafe.com slash bureau. B-U-R-E-A-U, to customize your system and start protecting your home and family. That's simplysafe.com slash bureau. Now, let's jump back into our discussion. Again, I'll go back to phone numbers. Um, There's a number of different services out there. Uh, There are many that are free, that don't cost you anything, that you can actually sign up and, and use a different phone number. I've done that. So I have a service that I use uh, that's of no cost, and I'm able to provide a phone number that I have linked to me to different places, uh, whether that be my healthcare professionals, whether that be these loyalty accounts like we talked about with grocery stores, to where, let's say, for instance, we've seen examples where there's data breaches out there. That's something that's way out of our control, but it's something that could definitely impact all of us. So if this phone number is breached and exposed and posted, um, it's really of no impact to me other than I simply go and adjust and change the numbers. Bit of a hassle to go update things, but they don't have that personal phone number that's linked to me, which would then link them back to other different data points about me. And so that's a very tangible, easy thing to do. Another thing I tell people, email addresses. Consider having one for your personal business and one for other things. Do you need your full name on that email? Probably not. Again, if this data is exposed for whatever reason, that's certainly something that will protect you. Two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, that is something I certainly would push as well. You know, I had a situation this morning, actually, where someone told me a popular streaming service I have, I got a spam text and it basically said, your account will be deactivated. Well, I know that that's not true, but if I were to go click on that link, there's a potential that it would route me somewhere and attempt to steal my credentials. Obviously, I didn't do that, but if someone were to do that, having these tools in place will allow you to have that extra step. So even if you make a mistake, hey, we're all, we've all been fooled. I'm certainly not immune to that. So if that's the case, then that will keep us safe. And so those are some very tangible things that people can do right away. And really, again, just evaluating how we give that information out really helps prevent issues down the road so that you don't have to opt out. Yeah, these these kind of two simple themes. One is situational awareness awareness and vigilance so that you can see a threat coming at you and, and an attempt to get your data coming at you. And yeah, I got something this morning texted to me about, you know, your package, your package is on its way. Click here to track your, del- I don't have any delivery expected. That's nonsense. And and so I'm not clicking on anything. This happens regularly. And then the other, the other side of that, of course, is not, 
not making it easy for the bad guys by giving up all this information. So I know in my own personal life, if I'm standing at a, at a store, you know, cash register and somebody's saying, can I have your email? The answer is no, I am not, I'm not doing that. And I, and I, I also like the idea of kind of shaping um, your exposure so that you've, you're funneling people to something that really doesn't matter. So you've got a kind of a throwaway email or a throwaway phone number and, and, you know, they want to just go with that. Fantastic. Knock yourself out. Cause that's, that's not anything I'm going to be using, but it, it's something. Yeah, and it really is a mindset shift, Frank, as far as uh, when we come up with short-term solutions, generally they set us up for long-term problems. So, you know, that ounce of prevention is better than that pint of sweat and blood. And so that's really what I encourage people is, Hey, things are designed for us to move so quickly in our society. We can quickly download resources and apps, but have we just taken that extra moment to stop and evaluate? And that's really what I'm encouraging people to do. Take a moment, slow down. That's not going anywhere, but that moment of interaction may expose you to some long-term problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've talked about, you know, kids and I, I've, you know, you've got them, I've got kids and grandkids. Any advice for the, for the parents out there um, or, or, or perhaps teenagers listening, where do you start with your kids and uh, avoiding exploitation by predators, pedophiles, any advice, you know, for schools on better online security and anything that involves our most vulnerable people amongst us, our kids? Well, I think we talked about earlier. Well, I am a big fan of opting out. As a, a husband and father, I can't opt out of my kids. I really shouldn't do that. And so you really can't opt out of being a parent. And so what I'd encourage our listeners um, to really understand is many of these online predators have a good understanding of technology, particularly these emerging platforms. So they're right there on these curves of innovation. And they're very cunning. And they really are some of the most disgusting people we deal with. And they are masters of exploiting our children's curiosity and use that to target them. So one of the very simple things that I do is I don't let my kids take their cell phones to bed. While my kids do have social media platforms, that's something that my wife, who's a mental health professional, and I regularly go through and, and understand. Part of my job is to make sure that I've configured those settings to maximize their privacy. But that's a choice that parents have to make as far as when their children are on tech and those different personal decisions we have to make as parents. But you should not opt out, right? We need parents to be involved because the personal information online that maybe they post on social media platforms or their children are providing can really be used to target our most precious gifts, our children. And so... As a parent, do you need to post everything about your child online? I'm certainly not uh, advocating that we don't post things that we're proud of, but really evaluate that. Is that something that everyone needs to know? Are my settings configured in such a way that I'm maintaining privacy and not handing that away for just that fleeting moment of what we feel like is social connection? And again, it really just comes back down to evaluating that. And if and, you know, if I'm not telling people this truth, then I'm really living life above my pay grade. Because as parents, when it comes to our kids, there is absolutely no surrender when we're the ones standing on that line. And that's something that I really encourage people to think about because 
you know, five years from now, what kind of digital footprint have we left for our kids that they haven't really even had a choice to leave for themselves? And I'm starting to hear that discussion more and more with parents. I want to leave my kids with a clean digital footprint. And that's something that you didn't really hear five and 10 years ago. That's a, a very interesting discussion that's starting to happen more and more. Yeah, it's a conversation that should be taking place in homes uh, throughout America. We're so careful about telling our kids not to engage with strangers and, and you know, to only interact with people uh, if there's an emergency that know a code that's pre-established for friends and neighbors. But we seem not to do that or care at all about the strangers they might be interacting with on online. And, and you know, you've, you've talked about social media postings and I've, I've seen, you know, friends uh, online saying, hey, we're finally on that dream vacation for two weeks, you know, see you later. Well, that means your house is empty uh, for the next two weeks. So someone wants to get in there. Maybe that's the time to do it. Or people posting, you know, a spouse and I are off on vacation for the first time. The teenage kids are home. You know, God bless them. Well, oh, they're home by themselves. Very interesting. Just give a moment of pause um, before you, you press send on those posts might might mean the difference between safety and, and being unsafe. You mentioned, I always like to wrap with uh, success stories. You mentioned the, the great story of helping a Kansas City task force officer. Anything else, perhaps just generically about the receptivity to what you're doing and, and teaching? Uh, any other success stories to share? Yeah, I think, you know, we mentioned this bore out of a, an initiative to help both FBI employees and partners. And I think having this discussion is very valuable. And I think bringing this to the American people is also a valuable discussion. While their jobs may not expose them to the same level of threat that we deal with, certainly there are threats out there that they don't have to experience just by applying this mindfulness. And so part of what I do is I almost look at this as like digital exhaust zero days, where I'm constantly evaluating what kind of information is out there how that can be exploited, and being vigilant about basically removing that or detecting it, almost like a digital exhaust patch, if you will. And so I think we just need to really have more of these discussions about being mindful, slowly evaluating that. And the success of that is, you know, as I'm both, as I said, I'm a father and husband. And so it's not as if I have all these whiz-bang tools. Some of this I'm just learning your kids. My kids are some of my greatest teachers. And I'm able to learn from them and actually bring that expertise in. And so as we have multi-generational workforces, as I'm a supervisor and some of my employees are younger, their motivations for joining the FBI may not have been 9-11 driven. We're, We're moving away from that point in time. It certainly doesn't diminish those people that have joined. But we need to be having these conversations across this multi-generational spectrum because if we don't, we're missing out on expertise. And so what I'm trying to impart in my employees is continue to develop those critical thinking skills, but then leveraging that expertise because my kids are growing up very different than how I grew up with technology at their fingertips. That brings unique challenges to them that I didn't experience as a child. And so I think if we don't have these discussions, we're certainly leaving ourselves open to be exploited. Yeah, we've been talking with James, a supervisory intelligence analyst at FBI Kansas City, about our digital exhaust. And I think there'll be a lot of folks who, after listening to this, just start 
taking action by Googling their name, their phone number, their home address, their kids' names, and just start seeing what is out there exposed and start pressing the opt-out button to minimize what you've already got and to prevent moving forward any further exposure. James, thanks not only for this conversation, but for what you and the men and women of the FBI do every single day. It's my absolute pleasure, Frank. And thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. And I appreciate uh, all the support we receive from the American public. Yeah, it's it's crucial. And, and uh, this podcast is aimed at really sharing the mission of the Bureau with folks and making us all smarter. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and learning more about how exposed we all are online. Now, our next episode is for anyone who's ever wondered if there might be an FBI job out there for them. We'll sit down with one of the heads of recruitment and staffing for the FBI. She tells me she might have a job that's just right for you. The Bureau is written by Frank Fagluzzi and executive produced by Allison Gill with sound design and editing by Molly Hockey. The show is engineered by Matt Brousseau with podcast art design by Johanna Coxeter. Music for The Bureau is written and composed by Peter Rydberg. The Bureau is a proud member of MSW Media Network, a collection of independent creator-owned podcasts focused on news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.